take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Excuse me, Acts chapter 4, sorry. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, as we're turning there, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray that you will help us as we look into this passage and as we um, talk again about the Apostle Peter, that we'll understand the lessons that you have for us. God, I am not adequate enough to share your word, so Lord, I pray that you will use me even in my weaknesses. Lord, and we are not strong enough to listen to your word without your Holy Spirit guiding and directing us, so I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct those that are here this morning, that they will be open to what your word has. We ask this in your name, amen. Acts chapter 5 is where we'll be, and as I prayed, we're going to again look at the Apostle Peter, and actually we're going to wrap up our study on the defining moments of a servant, Peter. And as we do that, I want to look at what he accomplished for God, and as he allowed God to work in his life. It's not as if Peter had everything given to him. It's not as if everything was easy for Peter because he was special, or or because he was a disciple of Christ. But he was used. Peter was used by God in an incredible way because he got past his failures to succeed by serving Christ. Sometime in life, failures can lead to more failures. Sometimes, and I've seen that as I I interact with people uh, in in the world and and even in churches where uh, they fail and it it doesn't encourage them to to try harder or to push ahead for the cause of Christ, but yet they continue to fail unless they learn the right lessons. Between 1972, 1962, excuse me, and 1977, there was an inventor named Arthur Pedrick. Arthur Pedrick, in those 15 years, patented 162 inventions. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? until you realize that not one of them made it to commercial production. You ask why? These were some of Arthur Pedrick's inventions. He invented a bicycle that was able to go underwater. Not really sure the value of that. He invented an arrangement that you could add to your car where you could drive the car from the back seat. Some of you would like that. But that is not a good thing, I don't think. He invented several golf inventions, one of which was a golf ball that as soon as you hit it, you could drop your club, apparently pull out a remote control, and control the ball as it flew through the air. I'm not sure how that works. But Arthur Pedrick's most famous invention, which I say famous because it was ridiculous and never made it to production, uh, was one where he came up with a plan to irrigate all the desert to, uh, of the world, to water them in such a way that they would be able to be uh, a place where you could grow crops. And so you say, what was his idea? His idea was he came up with a way to give a constant supply of snowballs from the North Pole to the deserts through a series of large pea shooters. I kid you not, I actually saw the diagram that he put together. Now, it didn't last. None of these went to production. 
It was said about Arthur Pedrick that he was a brilliant man, but he never learned from his failures. There was another man, graduated from college and and began working as a newspaper writer. Began writing for a a local newspaper and and, um, had the job for just a period of time and he was fired because the newspaper said he lacked creativity. Trying to persevere, he formed his own company. It was an it, it animation company called Laughogram Films. He raised $15,000 to get Laughogram Films off the ground, and not long after that, one of his, his major financial partners got out of it, and so because of that, it fell apart. Desperate and seriously out of money, this individual found his way to Hollywood, California, where he faced more criticism after criticism after criticism until finally one of his films, which later became a classic, skyrocketed in popularity. This man who was told he lacked creativity, this man who was told that that he failed over and over again, uh, today his company is one of the top hundred companies in the world known for its creativity. This man's name was Walt Disney. You see, you had two different individuals. You have one by the name of Arthur Kedrick, who was a brilliant man, yet never learned from his failures. And you have another one by the name of Walt Disney, who learned from his failures. And and many of you uh, have been to his place, Walt Disney World. And Peter, we looked at over the last few weeks, Peter, in a spiritual realm, faced failures. Reality is failures happens to every single person in this room. All of us will face failures. All of us will do something that is wrong. All of us will mess up in some way. The question is, how do we respond? And in the spiritual realm, not not like these other two individuals, but in the spiritual realm, how do we respond after failure and, and serve God? Last week we left Peter, if you remember, he was around a campfire. He had failed God, yet God brought him back. Jesus brought him back and encouraged him, Peter, go and feed my sheep. Go and serve me in a way that is, uh, is, is going to prove that you are going to love me. Not long after that story, Peter, uh, uh, they left that scene and they went and Jesus took them up onto a hill and, and the Bible tells us that Jesus ascended to heaven and as He ascended to heaven, He, he gave them again encouraging words and He went and He, and he told them one of the things that's going to happen is, the, is I am going to send another who's going to come and encourage you. And so the disciples were left at that moment alone and scared. They went, and the Bible tells us they went to a, to a room basically to hide and wait for something to happen. And in that time, God came to them, and the Holy Spirit came down to them. The Bible says it was like uh, cloves of fire, and it came down, and, it, and the Holy Spirit empowered them, encouraged them. And with that power, if you look at, uh, we're not going to read it all, but if you look at Acts chapter 2, Peter and the other apostles, with that power of the Holy Spirit, they went out on the day of Pentecost, and they preached the Gospel in three thousand people got saved that would be uh, as that's a preacher's dream right there three thousand souls were won to christ and from this group the church began to grow and it began to become popular and people began coming and being broken by the gospel and hearing the gospel message and and peter and the other apostles and john and they became to grow in popularity 
Crowds would follow them wherever they went. We come to Acts chapter 3, and it says Peter and John were going to the temple. They were going to be preaching, and as they were going to the temple, they were approached by, uh, as they passed by a pool, a lame man called out to them. The Bible tells us that, that they healed this, this lame man, and what, a, what an incredible miracle that he had been lame from birth, and yet they healed him, and this spectacle drew more people to them. And so you come in, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 11, you can look there, it says, while he clung, this is the lame man that has now been healed, they clung to Peter and John, and all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to the portico called Solomon's. They, become, they began to gather and they want to hear more and more of what is said. And so the end of chapter 3, Peter begins to preach. And this guy that not long before that was terrified to even acknowledge that he knew Christ, now he stands up in front of tons of people and begins to proclaim Jesus Christ with power. And that brings us to chapter 4. Our, our passage for this morning, and I'm going to read, and you can follow along. It's a long passage, so uh, follow along, uh, starting in verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse 22. It tells us in this passage, as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John and the other apostles, the priests and the captain of the temple, And the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. I mean, the, the number of converts is growing rapidly because Peter and John are preaching with such boldness. Then look at verse 5, and on the next day the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all those who were of the high priestly family. If you, if you know your Bible, you recognize the name Annas and Caiaphas. Who were Annas and Caiaphas? These were the guys that presided over the trial of Christ. These were the guys who, who were, were there when Jesus was was being accused falsely. These were the guys that pushed to have Jesus sent to the cross. And now Peter and John find themselves before them. In verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? By, By what name did you heal this lame man? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to the crippled man, by which means this man has been healed, let it be known to to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the same as the stone that that, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone of heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when common men, they were astonished. And they reckoned nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do to these men? 
For that a notable sign has been performed through him is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. And they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, of what we have seen and heard. And when they had, for all were praising God for what had happened. The man on whom this sign of he, uh, he this passage, and as I said, they, they're preaching with boldness, and, and all these people are getting saved, and then this lame man is healed, and, and, and everyone's astonished, and, and, and they begin to preach more and more, and more people are getting saved, and, and the, the religious leaders come and they say, we can't have this anymore. And so suddenly in the middle of Peter's preaching uh, to the people, it's interrupted as, a, as the priests and the, the captain of the guard and the Sadducees come in and they arrest them. They put him in jail overnight because it's too late to do a real trial as if it's going to be real. What's known as the Jewish Sanhedrin. What's a very intimidating group. Peter quickly turns the tables on them. Is healing a crippled man? Is that a wrong thing? And, and obviously the answer to that is no. And so by Christ, it is your reason that he, he was, he was uh, killed. But then he said, they, he, Peter lets them know, if you're going to have salvation, interesting is Peter, not long before this, was terrified. And he doesn't see a court. You know what he sees? He sees a congregation. Peter sees they're amazed at their boldness, and we'll talk about this more, but you see that in chapter 4 and verse 13. They don't understand it. These guys are children. They haven't been taught by us, so how can they possibly be doing it? They tell Peter, no more, you can't, you can't speak in the name of whether I should or I shouldn't, but I cannot stop telling about Christ. But isn't it an amazing transformation from this guy who before was confident only in himself and yet he failed to a man who was confident in Christ and did the impossible. The change in this individual is staggering. And we begin to ask ourselves, how can we be the type of people who, who serve God with confidence, serve God completely, without fail, without uh, uh, question, because we understand what, who God is? And I'm going to look at, just uh, for a few moments this morning, four characteristics of a servant of God that Peter displayed. And we see, first of all, a servant of God is controlled by the Spirit. To understand this scene correctly, we need to understand how threatening this was for Peter and John. The Sanhedrin was a, was a powerful court. It was, uh, it was the supreme court of the land, but that doesn't even do justice to it because they had the ability to, to, to try someone and immediately have them killed. The high priest was the one that uh, called this scene to order, and he was the guy that not long before this, as I said, was, uh, uh, was the one that caused Jesus to be crucified, and he was the most powerful Jew in all of Jerusalem. The captain of the guard was, was one that controlled all the soldiers of Jerusalem, and he uh, was very important. And here we have Peter and John standing before these powerful men. As I said, just a few weeks before this, Peter denied knowing Christ to a lowly servant girl. 
We talked about that just a little bit ago. But here he is now before the most powerful body of men boldly proclaiming Christ. What made the difference in Peter's life? What was it that changed him from that to that? And I believe there are many encounters that got him to that point, but I believe ultimately it was that he was filled with the Spirit. And in, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see that, that God came down and, and gave Peter's uh, witness, Peter's boldness before the Sanhedrin was not due to his own. When people come and say, hey, you know, Pastor, that was a great message. I, I, I teaches us that the moment that we trust in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. And He comes to live with inside of us. It's a one-time event and He never leaves us. But what makes the difference is the degree to which you allow the Holy Spirit work in your life. For Peter, he was boldly proclaiming because the Spirit of God was working in him and he allowed the Spirit of God to work in him. Ephesians says this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, And do not... Uh, get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Oftentimes we get hung up on, on the first part of that, being drunk with wine. And, and, uh, but the, it was used as an example of saying this, do not be controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit of God working in your life. And maybe for some of you, your alcohol of choice is not something you get in a bottle. Maybe for some of you, your alcohol of choice is your work or your spouse, or your money, or your pleasure. And those are the things that actually dominate in you and control you. And the point that Paul is getting across is this, is that we should be controlled by the Spirit in our life. The decisions you make should not be what feels good. The decisions you make should not be about what is best for your financial security. Decisions you make should not be what, is, what uh, others tell you to do. The decisions you make should be guided by the Spirit of God. And Peter was empowered and was filled by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And because of that, he had a boldness that enabled him to share the Gospel before the most powerful, intimidating group of that time. I heard a story one time about a man named Peter Cartwright. He was a circuit-riding preacher in the 19th century. He would go around and he would preach uh, evangelistic services in different places, and this one time he had an opportunity to preach before a very large congregation. And right before he got up to preach, he was informed uh, by, by the organizers of the event, they came to us thought, well, that, that's interesting. The organizers went on and said this to Peter Cartwright. They said, we, we thought you would like to know that, so that you won't say anything offensive to the president. He responded, thank you for telling me. I'll do my best. He got into the pulpit and his first words were this. I've been told that President Andrew Jackson is in the congregation and I've been asked to carefully guard what I'm going to say. And I want to begin by saying this. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent of his sin." You can imagine. It was said that when he said that, you could, you could hear a pin drop after the audible gasp. After the service, President Jackson walked up to Peter Cartwright and said this, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the whole world. How did Peter Cartwright have that ability to be that bold? 
because the Spirit of God was working in his life. The indwelling of the Spirit of God has no equal in this world. If the Spirit of God is working in your life, if you allow the Spirit of God work in your life, there is, there, there is nothing that you can't do that God wants you to do. You know, so many Christians will say, well, I can't do that. I don't, I, I don't have the strength to do that. Yeah, you do. If God wants you to do it, guess what? He's given you the Spirit to empower you to do it. And, and it is God's ordained method for evangelism. It is God's ordained method for edification. It is God's ordained method for exhortation that we have the ability to do what God wants us to do because we have the Spirit of God working in and through us. Peter was just an ordinary country fisherman. And you know what he should have done? Normal circumstances, he should have stood before those men with his head bowed and his eyes closed in fear. But instead, Peter looked at them and it was as if he was the ambassador of the courts of heaven. And he stood before them and he said, you know what, I know who you are, but I know who my God is. And I stand here not in my own power, but I stand here in the power of God in my life to tell you that unless you call on the name of Jesus Christ, you are never going to make it to heaven. What power he had. And it wasn't because he was perfect. We've seen that over the last few weeks. He was an incredibly flawed man. But the Holy Spirit can transform average men into anointed men for the cause of Christ. God has called each of us to serve Him, not just in simple ways, but in huge waves uh, that we can serve Him to push ourselves out of our comfort zone uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and empower us to do what He asks. I am convinced that many times we say no to God because we don't think we can do it. And I say that in myself as well. Many times we say, God, no, because we don't think He can do it. And we forget the fact that we have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And He can empower us to do great things for Him. A servant of God is one who is controlled by the Spirit. But secondly, a servant of God calls on the Scripture. I want you to look back again in Acts chapter 4 and look at verse 8. As Peter begins to, to speak, he says something interesting. First of all, you notice in verse 8, it says he was filled with the Spirit. That's where we see that. He said to them, Rules of the people and elders, if we being examined today concerning a good thing done to the crippled man, by what means this man is healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of, of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. But notice what he says next. This is an interesting verse. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in, in no, there is salvation no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You say, what, why, why, what does that verse mean, verse 11? Verse 11 is actually a quote from the Old Testament. It is a, it is a uh, messianic uh, prophecy and in Psalm chapter 118 it says the same very similar words the stone that the builder citation alludes to the suffering of Christ by the rejection of Israel it will be rejected he's going to suffer by the hands of those to his essential place 
and salvation. And, and this rejection of the uh, Israel leaders here uh, is evidence that he is the Messiah. This is the rejected stone that became the most important stone in the building. The logical conclusion that he comes to is this. There is no other name under heaven. There is no other way that you can be saved except through Jesus Christ. And so what Peter is doing here, and this is what caused uh, kind of uh, uh, an awe by the religious leaders because Peter alludes to a passage that they would have known. It would have been kind of one that maybe would have been not known by the average person. And he alludes to that and in his response he relies heavily on the Word of God. He does not back away from it, but he embraces it. Because a servant of God is going to make much of His Word. A servant of God is going to make much of a Scripture because no Christian can progress very far in the Christian life or be effective in Christian service who does not make much of the Bible. Constantly going back to the Bible. The Bible uh, is, is, should be our source of information in everything we do. And we go out and we serve. And I, there are many people who go out and, man, they, they serve with boldness, but they don't take the Word of God with them. They don't have the Word of God hidden in their life. And it's, they're, they're foolish and they're uninformed. And yet Peter went with the power of the Word of God in his life. That's why the Bible says that the Word of God in Hebrews is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Because what does the Word of God do in our lives? A couple of things I want to point out. The Bible paints the picture of a sinner. The Bible has the ability to show us that we are sinners. And, and when we look into the Word, it does not take us long to see that our sin is obvious. You begin in the book of Genesis and it's only get to the third chapter until you see that man is a sinner. As you travel through the Bible over and over again, it points out the corruption of the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We have a wicked heart. You know, many people today would like to say that we're relatively good. Mankind are good people. Mankind does good things. And so at the core of it, we're good people, yet Scripture tells us over and over again that we are incredibly wicked. And without the Word of God, we're not going to see that. Without the Word of God, we're not going to really understand that. That's why the Bible tells us that the Bible is our schoolmaster and the law is our schoolmaster because the law shows us our sin. And it shows us our sin not only through the words of it, but it shows us our sin through the examples over and over and over again. You look at men in the Bible who were sinners, and we think of a celebrated figure and, and uh, he, he, uh, of what he did and how he built the ark. And David is a man after God's own heart, yet David was a sinner. He's an adulterer. We look at Moses. Moses was the greatest leader of all of Israel, and yet Moses was a sinner. Over and over again, we look at men and women who, who rose up and did great things for God, and yet every one of them, without fail, sinned until we come to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that our sin, uh, as we sang earlier, our sin, because of God's holiness, our sin causes us to be in, in, uh, lined up for judgment. We get a clear picture that our sin condemns us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says this, Therefore, just as sin came in, is basically good. Why is that easy? Because if I'm basic problem, because their sin demands judgment. 
And the Bible is what guides us to that. And Peter understood that. And that's why Peter was so ingrained in understanding the Bible. And he wanted the Bible because the Bible points to the fact that we are sinners. But secondly, the Bible presents the provision of salvation of God. The Bible doesn't just point out our sin and our subsequent judgment. We need to be people who love enough to say, yes, you're a sinner, but so am I. I am a wretched, horrible sinner. But the hope is that I have Jesus Christ. And the hope is that what this passage says is that even though that Jesus knew no sin, absolutely no sin, He came and He died on the cross so that I can become righteous in God. First Peter, it says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. You know, a Christian can be confident and be a confident servant of God, not because he's relying on his own strength, but he's employing something that, the, that is inspired, and inerrant, infallible, without any flaw, that we can take the Word of God and say, this is truth, because it's from God. Peter, as a servant of God, was able to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, but he was also able to call on the truth of Scripture. But thirdly, a servant of God declares with the confidence of God. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 20. As they came to him and they said, Peter, you are able to go free because basically if we keep you captive, the people are going to revolt and we can't handle that. So go ahead, get out of here, but we ask you, don't ever speak about God again and Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. Peter looked at him and said, you know what? You decide whether I should obey you, but I can't help it. You can't stop my mouth. Because what I have seen is not about me, it's about God. And Peter could not stop speaking about what he had seen and heard. He had seen Jesus Christ die. He had seen Him on trial. He had seen Him rise again. He saw Him ascend into heaven. He had heard Him explain the Scriptures many times. He had seen God through Peter heal a lame man. And so he spoke confidently. And I, he could say, without a doubt, I know for certain that Jesus has saved me through faith in His name and that He will save anyone who calls on His name. Peter knew that Jesus had changed his life. He saw this formal crippled man that was now walking in the name of Jesus. You know, and anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, and that's what he tells us in this passage, anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus can be changed. Anyone who calls upon the name and has confidence in the name of Christ can be changed. Bob Jones, uh, Bob Jones Sr. Excuse me, once said this, it is better to know a few things for certain than a whole lot of things that aren't so. A servant of God who, won, who gives his testimony based on personal knowledge, he does not tell what he thinks or what he supposes, or, uh, what, but he tells what he knows. And Peter said this, I can't help it because I know it. I saw you, I saw you kill Jesus, and you know what? I saw him rise again. And I can't help but tell people about him because I have confidence in what he has done. 
I love the story in John that he can see. And the religion, they in fear, you know, said, why don't you go talk to our son? (laughs) You know, tell us about this man, Jesus. This is early on Christ's ministry. He says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know, but one thing I do know, that though I am not. He couldn't back down from that. And if you are here and you are confident in what Jesus does, then rest in the confidence of God, not in your own knowledge, not in your own strength, but rest in that. He speaks only of what he knew as fact in his own case. He focuses on what he knows and not what he doesn't know. And because of that, he was able to be bold. Peter was able to be bold. A servant of God stands for God because of his confidence in God. You know, the reality is, is I personally, I lack confidence in many areas of my life. I do. But I know this. My God is all-wise, all-knowing, and all-powerful. And if my God says that I can serve Him, that I'm confident that I can. God relies not on his own confidence, not on the self-confidence, but on confidence in God. Peter tried to rely on his self-confidence. Remember when God came to him and said, you'll deny me, and he goes, no, they might, but I won't. That was self-confidence. But now these religious leaders come and say, Peter, stop talking about Jesus. He said, you can decide whether it's right or wrong, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> because I know the truth. And I'm going to continue to preach it. And finally, a servant of God promotes the Savior. Look again, if you will, in Acts chapter 4 and look at a couple different verses. We're going to jump around. He says in verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they acquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Look down at verse 10. Verse 10, he says, Let it be known to you, to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, Peter wasn't about self-promotion anymore. He was about promoting Christ. And that's why he was able to say in verse 12, there's no other name under heaven. There's no other possible name by which you can be saved. No one is faith. Trusting in anything else for security is faulty. Trusting in your works will fail your intelligence ends. Trusting in your money will perish as soon as your money is gone. Twelve is a reminder constantly, not just in salvation, but in every aspect in life, there is no other place that I can trust but in Jesus. And he makes it very clear that that's an exclusive way of salvation. Jesus had taught them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other name. There is no salvation in any other. And Peter and and John and the other apostles were very straightforward to that point. Jesus is the only way to heaven. The only way. The only possible way. The story is told about an accountant who answered an advertisement for one of the top jobs in a large firm. He went for his interview, and at the end of the interview, the, the chairman of the company asked him one simple question. He said, I have one last question. What is three times seven? 
Someone, someone give me the answer. 21. I just want to do that so that, you know, you get the, the punchline here. The accountant thought for a moment, and he looked and he said, 22. Outside, he, he <laughs> I don't know why he needed to do this if he's an accountant, but he pulled out his calculator and checked and realized he was wrong. Yes, he was. And he was certain for a fact he wasn't going to get the job. The chairman, and he asked why he had been appointed when he gave the wrong answer. And the chairman responded, It doesn't matter uh, where you get there. It doesn't matter how it happens. But reality is what Peter said to those men is there's two options. There's Jesus or... We look at this and we see that Peter's desire was... Acts chapter 4, we get the idea that Peter and John were gifted men. We studied Peter's life and we see that he was a flawed, sinful man. He was brash. He was foolish. I want to finish up by looking at uh, chapter 4 and verse 13. I love this verse. Now, when they saw, now who saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common. That word uneducated in, in the Greek means Peter and John were actually illiterate. I don't believe they were because they wrote books of the Bible. But they were viewed that way. These men looked and said... These guys aren't smart. It goes on and it says they're, un, uh, they're illiterate. He says not only that, they're common men. That word in the Greek, the Greek word is idiote. I've, I've mentioned this before because I think it's, it's powerful. These words, these men looked at, at Peter and John and the other apostles and said, uh, idiote, which uh, the word means unskilled ignoramuses. I'm not trying to be mean. This Greek word is actually the word where we get the word idiot. It's where we get it. And they looked and they said, these guys are uneducated. They're, they're, they're idiots. But yet they've done great things for God. And I want you to notice what was their conclusion. Look at verse 13. He says, these guys were uneducated, common men. And then it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I, I, I can't think of a greater thing. I would be okay if someone says I'm an uneducated idiot. As long as they say, yeah, but he's been with Jesus and it's obvious. A servant of God is one who points constantly to the fact that he's been with Christ. And for Peter and John, you know what? They could care less what these men were saying about them. That was not true long before, just a little bit before this. Peter cared. Suddenly, he doesn't care. Let me ask you this question in closing. Does your life and service to God reveal I'm not just saying that you serve, but does your service re reflect, and there's a problem. Maybe you're here this morning, and you haven't called on the name of Jesus yet. You haven't turned to Jesus because he's the only way. That's what Peter said. And you're still trying to live in your own confidence, in your own power. You need to turn and say, I know there's no other way but Christ. 
and then live through the power of the Holy Spirit, live through the confidence of God, and live to promote Christ. Let's pray. God, we are humbled to know that just like Peter, you want to use us on his own power. If he would have stood up in front of the opt because he couldn't do it on his own. Serving you in, in, in the church or outside the church, you give us tasks to serve you that we can't do. We're incapable. But through the Holy Spirit, through your word, through confidence in you, we can promote the Savior. And Lord, I pray that you'll help those that are in here. Lord, maybe there's some here that are still relying on their own abilities to, for salvation. I pray that you'll help them to see there is no other name except Jesus, whereby they must be saved. Lord, I pray that you will convict them of that. Lord, maybe there's some in here that to, to decide to stop sitting around doing nothing and to serve you have to study the life of Peter and to see a man who served in a great way because you served and worked through him. We thank you again. We ask this in your name. Amen.